0: I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation, chapter 17. Teaching through the book of Revelation this summer, and I know some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, we're already in 17, what happened to the first 16 chapters? Uh, If you'd like to listen to them, they're on iTunes, and what's going to happen after today if you're not back, you can kind of pick that up as well, or hey, you can study for yourself. Uh, One of the greatest comments I've heard this summer that's blessed me uh, is several adults and and students saying, this makes me want to go home and read my Bible. Well, that's kind of the whole point of what I hope to accomplish through preaching God's Word, is it makes you want to go back and read the Bible, because you figure out this guy isn't preaching some sermon he got out of the newspaper. This is actually from Scripture. Imagine that. It's kind of a novel concept, but that's what we do here at the chapel. So Revelation 17 and 18, and we're really just going to, Focus on 17, and I'll, I'll tell you the, uh, what's going on in chapter 18 as well. But I titled today's sermon, The Death of Religion. And so hopefully that's already got you scratching your head. Speaking of heads, <laughs> I was traveling one time in California and had a head problem. I needed to get a haircut. I go to the same barber here at the beach. have been going to him now for probably 11 or 12 years. I've been here 13 years. And, uh, but I got to California and just decided, you know, I got a little extra time, really need to get a haircut. So I went to the mall to get a haircut. They cut hair at the mall. In fact, there's several places, this particular mall right outside of San Diego that cut hair. And I didn't know any better. I hadn't asked anybody, can you recommend a barber? Can you recommend a barber shop? But I just went in and I walked up and said, I need to get a haircut. She said, well, that's fine. Uh, what's your name? And I thought, I don't, what, my name's Robert, but does that have anything to do with what kind of haircut I'm going to get? Like, you know, do they look at a chart and say, well, Robert, he could be called Bob, so that's the kind of haircut he's going to get. Put a bowl on his head and just kind of trim around it. So that scared me a little bit. And the thing that scared me more was when the barber walked out. His name was Kevin. Kevin had this kind of bushy, receding hairline, mullet-looking, Kramer thing going on. And uh, I should have, like, thought, well, whoever cut your hair, I don't want him touching my hair. If you're cutting your own hair tell me now so I can find somebody else, but we go back, and he starts cutting my hair, and in the middle of cutting my hair, he starts asking me, so what do you do for a living, he doesn't know anything else to talk about, so he said, what do you do for a living, and a lot of times when people ask me that, I'll kind of mess with them, especially when I was youth pastor, I'd go on, you know, school campus to eat lunch with students, and they'd say, well, you know, what are you doing here, because they knew I wasn't an assistant principal, I didn't have a walkie-talkie, so, you know, they knew I didn't look like I belonged there, so what are you doing here, and I was like, I'd make up stuff like, well, you know, I'm a government food inspector. I'm I'm inspecting the amount of grease on your pizza. And they're like, man, that's great. We've been wanting somebody to come and check. We think you can run biodiesel just off our pizza here, you know. But this guy asked me, what do you do for a living? I thought, I'm not messing with him. He has scissors over my head. So I just said, well, I'm a preacher. And he said, oh. (laughs) And I could see the wheel spinning in his mind. You know, he's thinking, oh, man, what have I gotten myself into? got a preacher here. And in the middle of wa- of cutting my hair, he says, all right, let's wash your hair. Well, that's never happened to me before. They either wash it or they don't. But if they're going to wash it, they wash it at the beginning. And I'm thinking, what has he seen <laughs> in my hair that now makes him think, we need to fumigate? You know, I don't, I don't exactly know what's going on. So he decides he's going to wash my hair. And in the course of washing my hair, he quits talking to me and talks to the person next to him. And in the midst of that conversation, he lets a profanity slip out. And he looks back at me, kind of red-faced, and he said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to use that kind of language in front of someone, religious. And I said, well, you don't have to apologize to me, and by the way, I'm not religious. Well, that started a conversation that lasted the rest of the haircut. He said, what do you mean you're not religious? What kind of preacher are you? I said, well, I'm a Christian. He said, what do you mean you're not religious? I said, well, you know, the word religion and the word religious, in my Bible, my translations, I've looked it up again this week, occur about seven times. You look up both words, religion and religious, and most of the time they occur, it's not good. God's condemning it. And so i simply said, I don't want to be a part of something God's condemning. I'm not religious. Well, what are you? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Big difference. Big difference. The sad thing about today is there's a lot of people that are just religious. You want to know why people are leaving the church? Because all they found there was religion. Religion is dead. We're going to watch it die in this passage this morning because you're going to be amazed that at the end of time, we see it even in the book of Revelation, that there are no atheists. Everybody's worshiping something. Nobody's saying anymore there's no God. And nobody's worried about separation of church and state because the state has become the church in Revelation. But it's a church that needs to die. It's a religion that needs to go away, and it does. And just in case, as I read this passage this morning, you're like, man, this sounds like a horror movie. It is. But I got good news, and that'll be the last point. Jesus overcome. So just in case it gets a little intense for you, all right, just remember there's good news at the end. If you've ever seen a horror movie, it may have scared you to death until you saw the end, and you could go back and watch the same movie. It doesn't scare you anymore because you know what's going to happen. Well, that's what we see in the book of Revelation. It's scary. But we know what's going to happen. So let's look at the first point, and that's about this woman. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time. There's going to be some passages, some verses in here. You're going to go, what in the world does that mean? Well, I'm going to try to explain that, all right? Let's just look at the first five verses just to get an introduction to this woman that we meet in Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. We're in Revelation. Just to recap what we've already seen, we saw in the first chapter of Revelation, John has an encounter with Jesus on this prison island that was basically uninhabited except for prisoners. He was all alone, and Jesus comes and appears to him. John's about 90 years old, and Jesus says, come up here and let me show you what's going to take place. In fact, he says to John, you're going to write down everything you see. And at several points in Revelation, I try to put myself in John's shoes or sandals and ask the question, man, how do you write down everything he's seeing? This is incredible. So often you'll hear John say, well, it's like this. Why? Because he'd never seen anything like what he's about to see. And he's trying to use earthly terms that he's familiar with to describe something that's totally blowing him away. And so John says, Jesus tells him, write down everything you see. So he sees heaven. He sees the throne room. He sees God sitting on the throne. He sees the lamb that was sacrificed for the sins of the people. And he sees this scroll. And he sees these seven seals. And we see the seals start to be broken and all heaven breaks loose. And I mean calamity strikes the earth. Whether it's fire or water drying up or whatever, it gets a little bit worse then from the seven seals. We go to the seven trumpets. In the seven trumpets, it's a little bit more devastating. A little bit more the light is turned out. A little bit more chaos has been created on planet earth. Then we get to the last passage that we looked at last week and we see these seven bowls or vials. They're not just Poured out like a waiter pours your water at lunch. They are just dumped. And when they are dumped, I mean the world is falling apart. There's earthquakes happening. There's hailstones, 100 pounds in size, that are hitting man. The lights are turned out. It's dark. People have sores over them that ooze, and the problem is all the water's dried up so they can't wash themselves. They can't find anything to drink. Their tongues are getting thick from thirst horrible things are happening and we get to chapter 17 and basically chapter 17 the angel one of those angels that poured the bowls out appears to john and says let's take a break let me stop we've just seen the destruction that is going to happen at armageddon and that's going to be unfolded a little bit more throughout revelation of what's happened and so john's seeing something that hadn't happened yet what's going to happen but as he sees what's going to happen the angel comes to him in verse in chapter 17 and basically says all right let's step back Let me tell you a little bit about what's happened, what you've just seen. And so he shows him, takes him out into the wilderness, and says, here's what's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. There's going to be this great harlot, and she's going to be sitting on this scarlet beast, and it describes the horns and the heads. We've already been introduced to this beast. Back in earlier chapters, if you're just picking up with us today, the beast is the Antichrist. The dragon is Satan. And the dragon causes this Antichrist to rise up from the earth who has incredible powers, is a religious leader. And the Antichrist, who's the beast, has a second beast. And that second beast is the false prophet. And the false prophet makes everybody worship the Antichrist. In fact, he makes everybody create an image, an idol. And then he makes it look like the idol's talking. And one of the things they have to do now is get this mark on their hand or on their forehead that identifies them as belonging to to the beast, the Antichrist, who wants to be worshipped. Well, backing up then from that happening, how did he go about accomplishing all this? Well, he had a, a, a cohort, and it's this woman. And the woman you're going to find out later is not a literal person. It is a city, okay? It's where the world religions all come and collide into one. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But first of all, she's sitting on the beast, which basically means she's supported by the beast. And it describes the beast, what the beast is, scarlet in color, and he has these seven horns, these ten heads, talk about that in a little bit when we get to the destruction of the woman. But that's what John sees when he gets out to the wilderness. He sees the woman supported by the harlot. Now here is the incredible thing. In fact, you read a little bit more about this in chapter 18. What begins to happen when chaos breaks out on the earth is people are starving to death, there's... The political system is collapsing. The economic system is collapsing. Certainly the religious system is collapsing, collapsing. And all of a sudden you have this one rise up called the Antichrist that says, hey, I got the answers. And the reason so many people compare him to Hitler is because he's a lot like Hitler except ten times worse. Hitler rose to power in Germany when, he, when the economy was terrible. And Hitler was able to exterminate the Jews. And the people went along with it because he was giving them stuff to eat. And it seemed like he had the answers to politics and economy and religion and everything else. And so that's how this little man named Hitler rose to power and how he exterminated six million Jews during and before World War II. So that's what the Antichrist has been about. And this has been the person that's helping him, this harlot, this woman, this prostitute that is sitting on this scarlet beast. So first of all, she's supported by the beast. Secondly, she's a harlot. Let's look how she's dressed. It's interesting that John's given us a description. He, he describes the beast. We've already talked about that. But he says she is adorned. She's ornately adorned. She's clothed in purple and scarlet. In that day and time, the only way you wore a garment that was purple is you were royalty because you couldn't afford it any other way. It came from a, a shellfish, That the ink from that shellfish or the basically had to smush it and get the purple out of it and that's how you got purple garments scarlet garments who else is clothed in scarlet well the the beast is colored in scarlet so it's like she's wearing the team colors all right scarlet and so she's wearing purple she's wearing scarlet she's adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls so if you look at her she looks beautiful now I don't know what she looked like herself, but what she was wearing and the things that adorned her were rich and expensive and precious. And the thought I had, and this is a warning for some of you guys, Proverbs says, as a ring of gold in a pig's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. (laughs) In other words, you can dress a pig up, you can put lipstick on it, put a gold ring in its ear or its snout, you can clothe it with purple and scarlet. What is it? It's still a pig. That's what's going on. This was a harlot that was dressed real nice. And it fooled the world. Be careful. Not everything that glitters is gold. And yet that's how deceived the world is going to be by this time. That they literally are worshipping a beast who wants to destroy them. And they're doing it aided by this harlot. And all the world comes and kind of basically commits immorality and immoral acts with her. Why? Because it's helping them out economically. It's helping them politically. It's helping them socially. It's helping them religiously. It just seems like this is the thing to do. Be real careful. Just because something looks pretty on the outside, find out what it really looks like on the inside. And so this harlot is ornately clothed, and she has this golden cup full of abominations, literally idolatries with all of its pollution, just a cup full of unclean, idolatry, abomination, and immorality. On her forehead is written a mystery. The word that's written there is Babylon the Great, mother of harlots. We've already seen Satan referred to as the son of perdition. Well, she's the mother of all harlots. You take all the harlots in the world, put them together, she's the leader of them. And abominations on the earth. So what has she brought to the world? She's brought idolatry. She's brought immorality. And we're going to find out in a little bit who she really is. She's really a city that the world flocks to for answers. So that's who she is. Let's look a little bit more of explanation. What's the name of the city that's given to her? Babylon. Where do we get the name Babylon? If you go back to Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, we see the Tower of Babel. And here's what man, back in Genesis chapter 11, everybody spoke the same language. Everybody gathered together at this place called Babel, and they decided, let's build a tower. Genesis 11.4 11, 11, 4 says it this way. Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So what's happened, the world comes together in this one world religion and basically says, hey, we don't want anybody to forget us. Let's build a tower that stretches into the heavens and we'll be remembered forever. We'll have a name. What does God do? God confuses their language. The workers that had been working the day before on the brick and mortar that had been putting stuff, all of a sudden they can't even communicate with each other anymore. And God scattered them over the face of the earth. And we come back now to the symbol of that city, and it's Babylon. Babylon. In fact, it's really every city in the world at that point in time. But it's, it's come together for one purpose, and that is to do away with God, to do away with Christians, and to worship and to elevate the Antichrist, this beast. And so he sees her as Babylon. He says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints. Earlier in the passage, it says that all the people that are following her are drunk with her immorality. In other words, they're intoxicated with her immorality. They're out of their right mind following her. And what is she drunk on? She's drunk on the fact that she's killing Christians. She's killing the saints. She's killing the martyrs. That's what the word witness means. And John is scratching his head. In fact, he puts it this way. I wondered greatly. Let me read this passage from 6 and following. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. Understatement. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Does that sound confusing? It is. We'll talk about it in a minute. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are the seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. Are you confused yet? Good. Verse 12, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom but they received authority as kings with the beast for a one hour. These have one purpose or one mind, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are, are the called and the chosen and the faithful. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, and the ten horns which you saw and the beast these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. All right, that passage is confusing. It gets a little funky. You're wondering, what, it, what is it talking about? This one who is and was, and it's coming back, and it's not anymore, and then what about these horns and the heads and all that? Let me try to unpack it. Stay awake, all right? Put on your seatbelt. Let's move through that because I want to get to the end, and that's verse 14, all right? But let's look at the explanation of the woman. She's Babylon. She's the one who's drunk with the blood of the saints. And then he says, I wonder greatly. The word wonder literally means I'm admiring or I'm astonished. It's like John at this point doesn't get it. His eyes are wide open, and his mouth probably is too. He just And the angel looks at him and just sees John going, What does all this mean? And so the angel says, Hey, why are you wondering? I told you I was going to explain all this to you. So let me explain it to you. He says, The beast. I'm telling you a mystery, really a, a secret. I'm going to reveal the secret to you. The beast that you saw, who was and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss. When we were introduced to the beast in earlier chapters, It says that as he rose up, he had these seven horns and these ten heads. One of the heads had a fatal wound. Well, what happens when you have a fatal wound? You die. All right? But he's come back from the dead. What is he doing? He's imitating Jesus. Jesus, who really did die and who really did come back from the death, the Antichrist wants to be kind of the bizarro world of Jesus. He wants to be the opposite and kind of corresponding to Jesus. And so it appears that he died and came back from the death. It's a fake. He is a cheap imitation that's dangerous because he's a cheap imitation. And so that's what it is. This beast who was and is, and all the world's gonna buy this lie. All the world's gonna believe this this beast that we're worshiping has risen from the dead for crying out loud. That's a good pedigree. Well, no, it's not, because it's a fake. And so that's what it means when it says that he is and he was and he will be again. But he's gonna go to destruction, literally ruin or loss. We've already seen. Armageddon. We're going to see a little taste of it today and get a little bit more of it next week in chapter 19. Those who dwell in the earth and whose name's not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast. They're going to absolutely, with their eyes wide open and mouth wide open and thinking, this is the answer. When the Antichrist comes, they're not going to see a beast that turns them off. In fact, the word for beast means dangerous animal, they're not going to see a predator. They're going to see somebody It seems like they got all the answers, and they're going to follow him, hook, line, and sinker. So that's who the beast is to them. And he says, here's the mind that has wisdom. And I think what John is saying is that at the time when, it, when you need to have wisdom, God's going to give it to you. He's explaining a little bit of it, but there's some of it you won't get until it gets here and God reveals it because some of these people that he's about to describe aren't here yet. He says, the seven kings five have fallen i think he's simply talking about kingdoms in fact if you want the names there was the egyptian kingdom the assyrian kingdom the babylonian kingdom the medo-persian kingdom the greece kingdom those are the five that have already been at the time that john is writing revelation the kingdom was rome that's the sixth kingdom the seventh kingdom is the kingdom of the antichrist so what he's saying is five have already come and gone they've been destroyed The one that's in power right now when John writes the book of Revelation is Rome. But there's one that's yet coming, and that's the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will have a kingdom. He will rule for 42 months, which is three and a half years, during the Great Tribulation, the part of the seven-year tribulation called the Great Tribulation. And it says he must remain a little while. The word little while while literally means puny. How long is he going to reign? For about three and a half years. And for three and a half years, everybody on earth, this name's not written in the Lamb's book of life. Everybody on earth that hasn't become a believer, and yes, there will be people coming to Christ during the tribulation. There's 144,000 Jewish witnesses. There's also two witnesses that God sends that, that minister during the great tribulation who are finally killed by the beast. And there's even an eagle that flies in mid-heaven pronouncing woe and offering an opportunity for people to repent. So there's still going to be a choice for people to choose God. The problem is they're going to choose the Antichrist. They're going to be so deceived, the blinders are going to be on in such a great way, they're going to follow the beast that is out for their destruction. Not the one that died for their sins. The one who faked his death to fool them. And they're going to follow him. But he must remain a little while. This beast is the eighth, one of seven. In other words, he's the seventh, but because he appeared to die and come back, he's going to claim I'm not just the seventh. I was the seventh, but I was killed. Come back from the dead, now I'm the eighth that cleared up at all if you read three commentaries you get 15 opinions on this by the way the ten horns are the ten kings these will be part of the antichrist future kingdom so they're not here yet but as the antichrist builds his kingdom he's going to have these ten kings that rule over the kingdom they haven't yet received their kingdom but they're going to receive authority literally delegated influence as kings with the beast for one hour. I think he's speaking figuratively of just a short time. Well, that's the woman explained. A little bit more. In fact, I want to skip past verse 14 and come back to it. They have one purpose, literally one mind. And who gave them that mind? God did. God is going to convince them to carry out his purpose. And one of the things they're going to do is destroy the woman. Why? The woman has helped the Antichrist... Rise to power. And the Antichrist is not going to want to share his glory with anyone else. And so he turns on the woman, this harlot that helped him get in the position he's in. Once he's in the position, what does he do? Turns on her. Burns her. Eats her flesh. Literally consumes this city. Because he is selfish for worship. he won't share his glory with anyone else. A lot like Jesus. Jesus won't share his glory with anyone else either. And he's about to destroy those who are trying to steal his glory. The Antichrist for three and a half years is going to be that person. God's going to put it in their hearts to execute his purpose. And the woman, the great city, will finally be destroyed. But then back up to verse 14 and let's end there. Verse 14, these will wage war against the Lamb. I want to talk about the war just a minute. We looked at Armageddon last week. Armageddon is this plain in Israel called the Megiddo Valley. There's, it's huge plain with mountains on either side of it. Showed a video last week of me being there and getting hailed on. Fortunately, the hail was dime-sized hail and not hundred pounds, or I wouldn't be here to tell you about it. All right. But at Armageddon, all the kings of the world are going to come to this one place, and that's where the final battle is going to be. But how long do you think this battle is going to last? Well, they're all going to get there, strategize, but when Jesus shows up on the scene, (laughs) it's over. I kind of have this picture. Have you ever sat in a classroom with maybe a bully or a loudmouth that's just up, just talking and all that, and doesn't realize the teacher's just walked in? And you're kind of just, just let them go. Just keep talking. This is going to be great. Or maybe it's the football team, you know, and you're sitting there, some guy's up talking bad about the coach, doesn't realize the coach just walked in behind him, and he's going to be running laps for the rest of his life. Well, it's even worse than that. The beast is a bully who gathers all these people that are following him, that have bought his lie to this place called Armageddon, and they think they're going to have a battle with God. Well, how long is that battle going to last? Not long. This isn't going to be drawn out. They're not going to be doing reports on CNN or Fox News because when Jesus shows up, he takes over. And Armageddon ends the battle of all battles. We'll talk more about that in coming weeks, that Satan will ultimately be cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever. And his demons and those who have followed him will go with him. But look what it says, the lamb will overcome them. That's an understatement. The lamb will will subdue them. Why? Well, first of all, he's Lord of lords. The word Lord means supreme in authority. So what does it mean? They had lords on earth back then that had some limited authority. Jesus is the Lord of them. He's the Lord of you. He's kurios in the Greek. He is supreme in authority. He's in control. He's Lord of lords. Second thing is he's king of kings, which really means a sovereign. See, they had kings back then. In fact, it's interesting that in Rome, the Roman emperor was always called the king of kings. Why? Because he had little kings under him that were kind of took care of provinces and states, but the leader of Rome would be called the king of kings. In fact, the woman, if you remember in verse 18, when it says she reigns over the kings of the earth, it literally means this, she has a kingdom over the kings of the earth. So the woman even considered herself king of kings. The Antichrist would have considered himself the king of kings. But they're going to meet the real king of kings. (laughs) And everything changes once that happens. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. Philippians 2 tells us there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who all is that going to include? Everybody's got a knee. The Antichrist, the woman, the false prophet, the dragon, Satan, and every person that's followed them, every demon, and every person that has followed them and rejected God will bow one day and acknowledge he is Lord. And those who are with him, and I just want to close with this description. Those who are with him are the called and the chosen and the faithful. If you've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says you're of that number. You're of the called. John six forty four. Jesus puts it this way. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You've been invited to follow Christ, and you've accepted the invitation. You're the chosen. 1 Peter 2, 9 puts it this way. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You're the chosen. You're the called. You're the chosen. You're the faithful. Literally trustworthy, demonstrating true, saving faith. So we can take comfort as believers. Why? Because we belong to God. We're His. We're protected by Him. And as you read the book of Revelation, listen, it gets better. In the next four weeks, we're going to unpack the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to unpack the second coming of Christ. We're going to catch a glimpse into eternity. So it gets better. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, thank You for the truth of that. God, the generation that we live in seems like things are falling apart around us. And yet, Lord, it's going to ultimately get worse. It it may get better in the short term, but in the long run, it's going to get worse. There's really going to be a kingdom opposed to God. The spiritual persecution that we face today is nothing compared to what will happen. And yet, Father, you have promised That your your followers are not destined for wrath. But we're destined for mercy. We're destined for your grace. And even during that time of tribulation, there'll be believers coming to you. Perhaps the greatest revival in the history of the world. Because ultimately, Satan doesn't win. You do. So God, thank you today that we can worship you willingly. God, as we turn our hearts towards you, who is worthy of our worship. God, thank you for that truth. God, continue to challenge us through our study of revelation, even as you've done today. We pray this in Jesus.